Sometimes you have to really just focus on setting up your intentions and your alignment and putting a candle on just restores me. I love it. This episode of The Spike, we welcome Alex Holmes. Alex is a holistic coach, mental health first aider and author. The reason I wanted to get Alex on was first of all to speak about his recently published book, Time to Talk, his podcast and all things mental health. As always, if you enjoy this episode, please hit the follow slash subscribe button, leave us a review and reach out to us across all socials at The Spike Pod. Can you just explain a bit about what you do? I do many things. I'm an author, writer, I'm a trained journalist, so I've been five years working as a traditional news reporter, tabloid papers, I worked on broadsheets. I worked in general news, entertainment, lifestyle. I've done features and other kind of interview pieces and whatnot. So uh, on one hand, I did that. And then obviously I've written the book um, and I've worked as a freelance writer within the wellness space. I'm a podcaster. I'm a podcast host. I've been podcasting since 2016. Thinking about spirituality and the like, um, I have been reading a book called Man Heal Thyself and it's a real, real, real good conversation around men and how we can really step into our our own spiritual wellness and our own emotional wellness in order for us to heal. I launched Time to Talk podcast in 2018. Since then, I've been just kind of working on that to have these kind of conversations, amazing conversations with people around uh, mental health emotional resilience, well-being, and just the things that keep us going, things that give us purpose, things that can keep us on the way, on the right path towards uh, contentment. I guess life is doing a lot at the minute. These are just conversations, the wholehearted conversations to have. On another hand, I'm an emotional resilience coach. So I work with men on how to become more emotionally resilient. And I do workshops, one-to-ones. I do a private men's group coaching. I just basically just speak to that side of people kind of in the same vein of the book, just to be able to tap into our vulnerable moments and actually really understand our emotions in a way that that's kind of showed up in the workplace in ways that we don't want them to show up in has um, showed up in our personal lives, our friendships and things of that nature. And it just, just to create a space of healing and a space of being able to have, just to be that person that can have those uh, general conversations about the deep stuff, about the emotional stuff. And I'm currently training as a psychotherapist. The fun stuff, I roller skate, I run, I, I you know, I enjoy food, I go outside and because I think it's so important for us to learn how to play and have fun, especially because the kind of stuff I do is a, it's a heavy, deep stuff. It's a lot of things that I've got to hold space for a lot of people to be able to do. And sometimes it's just nice to be able to go out and just have fun and not necessarily think about that stuff because I do kind of concern myself with a lot of that on a day-to-day. So, yeah, I don't know what that would put me. I'm a, I'm a health coach. I don't know what that would put me under. I'm just somebody who does a lot of things <laughs> just puts it all together. I balance a lot of plates, Harry. As soon as you said roller skating, then I had like flashbacks, like ice skating and roller skating when I was younger, just falling over constantly. constantly. You know, I have to like credit this lockdown just for kind of bringing that bit, that side out of me. I hadn't skated since I was 18. A good 10 years have gone by thick and fast. And here I am on these skates, like a gazelle or antelope trying to walk again. 
And I just figured that, you know what, that was a better time than, than none. Summer's almost here. I want to get to a certain degree so I can be in Hyde Park at the very least and skate. What was a younger Alex like? I'm, I'm still young. I'm still young. What do you mean? <laughs> younger me. Me now, you're talking about when I was a boy. I was a very... Okay, okay I'm getting this all from my mum. Okay, this is not me making stuff up. This is not me speaking favorably of the past, okay? This is me speaking from the, I don't want to call it, on the horse's mouth <laughs> from my mother. She's basically like, I found the picture the other day and um, I was going through and it was me as a six-year-old. I was just kind of like goofy, playing about, you know, pulling faces, doing all the stuff that kids do that's annoying. And I said, what was I like as a child? And my mom was like, you were you were a fun little boy, you know. You were curious. You made people laugh. You laughed a lot. You were playful. You had joy in you. <laughs> like had, were, what, what what happened? When did it change? It's like when you turned around twelve, it just kind of went down. <laughs> so I was like, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I say as a boy, I was very like curious. I was very engaged. I I picked up on a lot of things. I was very wise for a young boy read a lot of they read a lot of stuff i was um, always interested in learning things loved watching disney films it was actually very funny i went i had to think about it the other day and i had all the boy disney films i had all of them pinocchio robin hood peter pan basil the great mouse detective and all of those kind of like ones with like male masculine leads. And my cousin had like all the female leads in like Pocahontas, Cinderella, Snow White. And it was just really interesting just to kind of see that in, a really, in an engendered way. I had fun. So one of the reasons I wanted to get you on to speak about obviously the book and mental health side and social media is always a big talking point when it, this when this always comes up and I look through yours and it's quite rare I think that you actually find an Instagram account that is just all about spreading positivity and there's not this like alter side to it that yeah. is this kind of negative thing at all really and there was one post I saw I had to ask you so when you were younger did you want to be a garage MC? I did want to be a garage MC I did want to be a garage MC I wanted to be many things wizard was one I waited for that Hogwarts letter I still have a I still have a gripe with J.K. Rowling for reasons solely pertaining to Harry Potter. The, the rest of the stuff uh, I just ignore for now. Yeah, I I wanted that. I was born ninety one, so I grew up in it, but I was too young to grow up with it. Does that make any sense? Like I could have done nothing with Garage <laughs> from the ages of like like even when I got to what eighteen it for down in London it was very much about like funky house music and then it's kind of like grime and UK hip hop and UKG stuff so it was like all of that stuff and Garage was kind of on its way out I had no business knowing anything about Garage or anything like that so um, but yeah that was yeah I did I, at one point I did want to be a Garage MC <laughs> and at school it, that just that was just kind of was just made to yeah that no that wasn't going to happen <laughs> Um, but yeah, like there are so many things you want to be when you grow older. So many things. I had actor there. I had 
I said, I, I had a lawyer. I had a diplomat. Don't know where I was going with that one. But there was, writer was at the very top of those conversations though, because I was a huge communicator. So I wanted to be able to write novels and books. Yeah. So that was something I wanted to do. You know, going into becoming a therapist and that stuff. Like I remember doing a um, careers test, some kind of questionnaire thing that they make you do. And it kind of came out and said, oh, you can be a teacher, be an interpreter, or you can be a psychotherapist. I had no idea what a psychotherapist was, so I just looked at a teacher. But then also I went and studied languages at, at uni. So I um, kind of considered doing interpreting. And I did teach yeah, like two years, kind of like part-time, just tutoring and um, teaching English as well. So that was it. that was interesting to see how that kind of came full circle in a really weird way. Yeah, I was deep in the performing arts. I wanted to be, yeah, I think I was close to becoming an actor. I even, I always share this story and you probably will never remember this. He probably doesn't even know who I am or what I look like. I lost out a role to Daniel Kaluuya. That was interesting. I remember leaving the, leaving the audition and nodding to him and saying, good luck. That was it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, it's so amazing to see where he's at now, what he's doing, kind of who he is and stuff of that nature. And yeah, I find... I've had to really kind of look at look at those kind of moments and just smile at them because they're like it's your your paths. You never know what paths you're crossing, who you're crossing. So I always try to lead with the best intentions wherever I go because you don't know who you're gonna who you're meeting and kind of the kind of stories that you're gonna be able to tell at a later time. I will always have that story. He doesn't. He doesn't need it. <laughs> I will always have it. You know. So what was the audition that you went for? It was a film called Kaz. Kaz 19-something-something. We're completely forgotten it. But, um, but I was playing a younger Kaz. Yeah, and it was that was the audition. This was at a point where I was speaking to the director. Like when you start to do the audition with the director, that's it's quite far along. And then, yeah, and then I left the room and, and it, was a, it was in a church hall. But it's about this boxer and he grew up and he was adopted black guy and he was adopted by like a white family in the 70s or 80s or something and then I never heard back, back from them and then I left my agency and I just kind of went a different way and then I got the DVD and then I saw the DVD come I was like oh yeah I remember auditioning for this and then I went and I watched it and then there he was do you remember your line from it from your audition no I <laughs> do not remember a thing in regards to the lines I know that the script is somewhere here Go back to sort of the social media point there. And yeah, yeah. Like I said, with, with yours, I would actually really encourage anyone to check it out because there's so much positivity on there. Even with some of the videos, I think one of your story now, it's just, it's funny, but it's actually positivity as well. Like you come away from it smiling and feeling better about yourself. Mm. Not like you go on, I'm not going to name anyone influencers or, or anyone like that. Like you go on their profile and then you're there like, you kind of yeah. come away and you just feel a bit bad about yourself. But where yours is some of the quotes that you've said from your book as well and from the podcast actually makes you it reminds you about sort of self-love as well you come away from it feeling really positive and i think that's actually really really good in this day and age because a lot of the things you don't like you always see those entrepreneur ones where they just mm. put like these like bullshit quotes out basically yeah. that just like encourage yeah. working like seven days a week 24 hours i think it's so positive what what you are doing with that and it's one of the reasons we actually really wanted to get you on was to obviously speak about this. And then obviously your book came out, which is all around men's mental health, isn't it? And do you want to tell us a little bit about that? You'll see in the book, but I was on Twitter, I had a negative experience with socials and it made me really not want to be public, maybe not want to be seen, maybe not want to talk to anybody or connect with anybody on that level. I made a lot of great friends on Twitter, 
a long time ago. And I had to, but I had to make the decision to come off it for my own mental well-being and for my own personal kind of health. You know, I was really beginning to have a weird kind of traumatic reaction to, to to stuff. I kept seeing so many things thrown at me. I felt like I had to be reactive to everything. People were only seeing the two D version of who I am and who I kind of presented myself because that's what Twitter is. It shows you you're on one side or you're another. You're affiliated with this thing or that. And that is basically the nature of the platform. It's not a rounded, it's not a well-rounded platform. So I came off it for a year and then I came back onto Instagram on Suicide Prevention Week in September 2019 with a post and, you know, kind of explaining kind of my mental health, what was going on, why it's so poignant for me to come back at this point, at this time. I didn't even plan it. I just, I was coming, I said, I'm coming back today. And then I realised it was Suicide Prevention Day. And I was like, actually, it's something that I could kind of speak to because I had had those kind of thoughts based on, you know, perceptions, you know, my real world, my physical world was, was merging with this cyber world. And it was just this really kind of weird thing that was going on. So I kind of went through my Instagram after not being on it for so long, muted everybody pretty much, unfollowed, blocked, got rid of all the stuff, that all the gunk that literally did a whole spring clean, got rid of all the posts I didn't want to see, all the people I didn't want to see, all the quotes I didn't want to see. I literally just wanted to see sunsets and I wanted to see probably just lovely landscapes and buildings. That was what I wanted to see. I wanted to be like, oh, that's a nice place to go and visit one day. Save. And then just go about my day. That gradually became recipes, <laughs> fashion, like men's fashion, things of that nature. Then I started to notice that the, the nature of Twitter was sharing words. I'm a writer. I wanted to be able to share kind of nuggets of ideas and wisdoms that I had and wanted to share. And then I realized that people were doing that on Instagram in, in particular ways. So I kind of was like looking around and seeing what people were doing. They were interesting. As you said, some of them, some people are sharing quite vacuous stuff. Some people sharing quite like points, powerful things. And I was like, okay, so you take the good from a lot of this stuff and you learn from what's there. And then, so I just said, you know what? I just want to kind of share little nuggets and see where they go and what people think about it. And, you know, I played around with format. I played around with ideas. I played around with kind of with the message and whatnot. And then over time, it just became a lot about just emotional health, mental health, kind of like spirituality. And those are the things that I just tend to tend to speak about, but also love and kind of like the, a peaceful kind of space. I wanted to create a space on the internet that was just safe. Like <laughs> people would come and they could read it and be like, huh, interesting. Or they could, I've really gotten into reels now, guys. I really love what's going on. I've, I've seen them. I've seen them. They <laughs> are hilarious. They crack me up. But and the thing is, and like I'm on TikTok, but I just figured, you know what? I'm, I'm very, I'm a, I'm a kind of a one platform person <laughs> sort of thing. Like there's no point in me being on TikTok and then bringing it over. It's just, for me, it's just long. So so I was just like, so I liked real. So I was like, okay, so I want to, what I had to sit down and really think about what kind of message am I putting out there? I don't want to just be putting anything out there. I don't want to just be throwing stuff. I want people to come to the page. I'm very purpose-led and very purpose-driven and the, 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 the content will be purposeful. You know, if people don't like purposeful content, they don't follow me. And that's just, and that's fine. If people like that, they do. So, and I just wanted to make a space that was, that was, that was comfortable for people to come to. That's so you pretty mentioned much Twitter issue, and and I hate Twitter. I don't have a nice word to say about Twitter. I didn't for a long time. 
I had to do my stuff. I had to do my work. I had to get myself grounded and very centered around what I didn't like about Twitter because the platform itself, you cannot hate. It's, oh, it's the people on it. It's the people yeah. and it's what it allows, you know what I mean? So I have to be very clear about, it was kind of, the, it's, it's the energy that it invites there that I didn't like. It's the, it's the conversations that were being had. It's the things that, I mean, it makes, it makes sharing articles easy when you're a writer. It makes sharing pieces, it makes sharing things easy. Um, you can go viral quite quickly on Twitter, but at the same time, it's a very, very hostile place to be. And for my sensitive soul, I can't do it. I can't do it. I've tried. I went back on as just a podcast, as a, just, a, just a podcast page. I said, it just, no, didn't work. Just See, it's the left. only one that we, we don't post to as a yeah. podcast. There is some good that comes off it. I, I can't deny that. But I don't think that I've ever gone onto Twitter and been a minute not seen something negative. Mm-hmm. And then it just ruins, ruins your day, ruins, ruins your mood. And- it ruins everything. <laughs> Like, it's just like, you just, you know, it would always be something. It would always be something. And it also, it must come up quite a lot with the work you do when you're speaking to, like you said, your one-on-one coaching, your sort of men's group when you speak. The private group is actually, that's launching, I want to say in May. I do a men's group, uh, a free men's group at the first Thursday of every month. Yeah. And I'm guessing social media comes up a fair amount. Obviously I get people, I try and get people to share their socials as much as possible. And I'm just like, you know, they're like, Alex, where are you? I'm like, I'm in one place and that's the place you found me because <laughs> why you're here as well. So yeah, but like, I think, but we don't really speak about cyber, cyber stuff. It's a lot more about what, what's going on like with them. When I found out also that like, you know, a large percentage of trolls and people who um, are very quite abusive online are men. I feel like there's something there that needs to kind of really be, be, be sorted out. You know, the the growth in incel culture, involuntary celibate people are men, pretty much. And that, yeah, they're causing a, a huge amount and huge levels of abuse online for women and other people just across the board. So, yeah, there's a lot that needs to be, that needs to be said for the cyber world. Yeah, I just need to just leave it over there. And the one thing I also found about like, things like Twitter and that stuff was the resurgence of old tweets. To me, that was quite tricky because I was like, how can you hold, you're holding somebody account to, to how they thought when they were 18 and they're now 29 with, a, with 10 years of maturity, still on the same platform, still the same handle, still the same whatever. But yes, people should be held accountable to it, but it just becomes this vilification thing. It's like there's a lack of understanding that people change as they grow. If they are doing that same thing then and they are doing the same thing now, then yeah. There is a conversation to be had around why aren't, why haven't you changed? Why haven't you grown into grown up? Why haven't you grown up? Why haven't you done something with yourself? Like, you know what I mean? Why haven't you done something with regards to this? It's like, sometimes it's like, you know, and especially on Twitter, it's a very much a witch hunt kind of place. People will come for you out of nowhere uh, with their no profiles and their really hard to trace platforms and their private accounts that you can't find much, you know what I mean? So, it just wasn't something that I was kind of into or about. You want to know who the next guest is on the spike? Obviously, the main purpose of the podcast is people spike. Could you please share with us what your spike is? See, I get asked this a lot now. Hit subscribe or follow and you'll find out first. 
course, this bike is the thing that you possess that's unique to you, that makes you stand out in a crowded marketplace. Um, what do you think your spike is? I guess that I'm a black man in this space, speaking about that, you know? Having stepped into the world of men coaches, as I didn't even know there was a world, I just found myself among like-minded people. It's very middle-class and white. That is just the nature of things in this country, I suppose, you know, people have access, you know, a lot of middle-class people have a lot of connections to places and people and things of that nature. I'm obviously a black person when people see me. It's the first identifier that people have of me, but it's not necessarily, it's not about me being black. It's about the kind of impact I do want to help men with and women with. I want there to be a safer world for women and girls, essentially. So I think probably what makes me stand out the most is the message. While I want there to be a world where men can be vulnerable, men can communicate their emotions well, communicate how they're feeling, communicate things, um, communicate who they are, accept themselves, forgive themselves, be compassionate to themselves. I do also want there to be, I want that to be for all men. And I want that to then lead into creating a world. We are collaborative. We are not alone. We are creating a safer world, as I said, for women, girls, children, um, for non-binary siblings, for our trans brothers and sisters, for people of different abilities, different classes, races, and experiences. I want there to be a safer world for all of us. And in order to do that, we have to really start to address these things as men, because when we look at it, a large amount of the traumas that are inflicted on people are from men. And even if it's directly not from a man, it's indirectly from a man, you know? And I've always like looked at it and I thought, oh, but you know, people are people have their own agendas, they have their own things to do. And I look at it deeply and I look at it enough. And I think it actually, hmm, <laughs> there's always someone at the root of it who is wedling, wheedling the power. Um, and one example is actually Forrest Gump. So bear with me on this. Forrest Gump, though, is kind of a genius, but he was also seen as slow because of the way he spoke and the way that he kind of explored, explored things. But he was a genius, in a sense. Um, and he, he, did, he did amazing things with his life. Anyway, the stuff that he experienced, you know, he never knew his dad. His, um, he just lived with it. It was just him and his mom. And um, the kind of stuff that he experienced growing up, the way he looked at things was just completely different. So all the stuff that were glaringly obvious to us, he didn't see it. Now, Jenny is what we would call a woman of the world. <laughs> like, you know, she's been exposed to extreme trauma growing up, and therefore that is carried that is carried with her all the way to the end of the film. But she, you know, growing up, she experienced an abusive dad who did things to her and her sister. She experienced all of that that kind of impacted the way that she experienced people, she experienced her relationships. She was also kind of like, you know, abused in the relationships as she went and Forrest always was there. He kind of arrived at a time at different points in her life to kind of help her and like, you know, kind of you were a thing because he's just looking at it as don't treat people badly, but also he loves this girl. So, but she kind of had this feelings of self-worth, this low feelings of, of her personhood and whatnot. And I was just like, had she grown up with a stable home, with a father who loved her, with a mother who loved her, what kind of person would she have become? 
she has to go through her own her own healing and her own kind of experiences as well. But this is what I say to, when I start speaking to kind of creating a world that is safe for people to be able to grow up is to be the most kind of to be as whole as possible, to be as kind of like intact as possible. I don't want to say whole because it implies people are broken. And a large amount, lot amount of time, you know, children are abused, women are abused, and people who um, are deemed as weaker than you know the the traditional archetype of, of manliness that we've been given are um, are abused. I think that that's what probably would be uh, a key part of my spike because it's just my message, I suppose, and who is saying it because you you're not really gonna you wouldn't really expect someone like me to say that for some reason. The book is here. I. I don't know what to even. <laughs> I don't know what to think. I didn't even expect it today. This is how this is how mad it is. I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> so, what, what made you want to write that? This was like a, a book that was like five years in the making. I wanted to write it just because I felt like we weren't having these conversations enough. My podcast is the exact same name as the book. It helped me kind of format it in the way that I wanted it to go. I just wanted to get it down on paper. I wanted to kind of make a message, set a precedent, the kind of stuff I want to be writing in the future. I just thought that writing about why it's time for us to sit down and really kind of address our emotional health, our mental well-being, and how important that is for us to do what we need to do as men and how we need to show up and, and the like, that I think it was a very necessary kind of to do especially now we're looking at a future where mental health is going to be a hot topic for a long time because of this pandemic and that children are really struggling and families are struggling well we're going to be going to be having these conversations for a while because the powers that be aren't really helping we're going to it's going to be a lot of us shouting from from the gallows, really. I wanted to make sure that I was just kind of talking about it, not not in the way that you would typically get it as well, like not just about, oh yeah, well, men just need to cry, da 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 da, and kind of speak nicely to them and did it all speak nicely or whatever. It's not a finger pointing book. It's not a blame kind of inciting book. It's not any of that. It's a, it's just a book to say, you know, how can we just be more human regardless of our gender expression, our genders and our sexualities, our racial makeups, our, our different levels of abilities. How can we be men who want to make a difference and want to make a change in the world? How can we do that? And the examples in the book are just, I mean, there are such amazing men who have been through a lot, who have wanted to share different things that, they, that they've been through. And the women that have read it have felt so connected to the book as well. They've taken parts of it and thought, yeah, this could be applied to my life and this could be applied to the way I think about certain things and how I feel. And do So it's a book for everybody, really, even though it is kind of directed at men. And I think that even in the conversations I've had before with my extremely mixed bag of friends, I just sit down and it's like, well, what do you think about these topics? What do you think about this? And a lot of the conversations came back. It was just like, you know, they never thought about self-love in that way before. They never thought about self-compassion in that way before. Men are a lot, very hard on themselves, very hard. We're very hard on ourselves. Everything is a competition. Everything is a proving situation. Everything is a seeking for permission from something or doing something for the approval of something else. It's just, there's so much going on, especially when we look at the world of business and we look at corporate nature and 
and, that, like, and then even in family, like it's just everywhere. It just permeates every part of our culture and it doesn't do us any favors. It, it, a lot of the research was quite heavy for the book as well because it meant recognizing that there were loads of suicides um, and a lot of men who reached the middle age who were in high powered, high paid, high pressured jobs were dying by suicide. You had young people dying by suicide, having, you know, supremely distressing suicidal thoughts and not being able to explain or express where they came from or why they feel that way or anybody to ask them those questions about why they feel that way or not. It was a very emotional book to write, but I also am happy that it's out and that people are kind of taking it in in the ways that they need to take it in. And you mentioned some of the feedback there. I saw it on your Instagram as well. Some of the people sharing on their stories and having such a positive impact after reading it. How does that make you feel seeing all, all positivity and all from the book? It makes me feel supremely grateful just for people. It makes me feel I'm, I'm thankful. I'm happy that it's kind of landing in the way that I wanted it to land. I'm just happy that people are reading it. If anyone is listening right now and they might be struggling themselves or, or anything like that, what, what would be your message to them? All I could say to them is to remember and to really try to remember that you are not alone, that there are people out here who are feeling the same way, first and foremost. Help is always available, even though it may seem like it's not. Help is always available. The most generic thing I could say is really just recognize that, yeah, you're not alone in this. The message I wanted to write home in the book was like, you know, you don't have to do this alone. It's not for one person to kind of sit down and quote unquote struggle with. And the more that we can create a world and a place and a community and people around us that can help prop us up, like people that we can lean on when we go, when we go through stuff. But it's also kind of, you know, take some, take some responsibility for where we're at as well. But, you know, people that we can lean on and kind of help prop us up and kind of get us to the next level, the next level, the next phase in what I do with my coaching and whatnot. That's important to remember in the most, in the most generic sense, because I, I understand that people go through stuff specifically. I would say look at therapy, look at support groups, find a community that is doing something that you want to be doing. For example, if you like photography, you want to get involved in it, find a photography group. There will be somebody who decided they want to start photography in this lockdown and they wanted to create a group and there's two or three people in it. And then it's always nice getting into a group at the beginning because it's just like, you know, there's less people to, to do all that, to, you know, so there's some, or you can start your own, but there's so many things you can do. I think it's just do what feels right. What's the best bit of advice someone's given you? That none of this matters in the end. Like none of all the stuff that we worry about stuff that we fear the things that you were worrying about at 19 to an extent are you still worrying about them now at 23 no not at, at all. 29 i'm like at 19 the stuff i was worrying about at 19 i have no recollection as to what that was really i'm looking at you know what i mean and i think it'll be the same when i'm in my 30s when i'm and looking back on my 20s and then in my 40s looking back on my 30s like it will become what a blur and a blip in your life we work in the way that you want to show up for yourself in those spaces. When people say time is short, they're not wrong. But I do think that time is as long as you want it to be. When we start to worry and become anxious and really stay trapped in our thoughts, the time becomes really quick because you miss so much. You're so caught up in just what's up here. 
rather than just the experiential things that are going on. You know, the walks, meeting new people, traveling, you know what I mean? Those are the things that you hold on to. Where's the best place to right. connect with you? I would say go straight to alexholmes.co um, and that's where everything is. Book, podcast, newsletter, coaching, community forum. That you know, If you want to ask a question on my podcast, you can just go there and sign up and um, join in the conversations that are happening. I don't know about you, but that has definitely given me a lot of food for thought about mental health and social media as a whole. I'm talking about what social media used to be to what it is now. There was a lot of key talking points in this episode and obviously the very current topic of protecting the younger generation, male and females of all ages. I would really encourage to check out Alex's social media platforms as there's not many places that I could say that you go onto Instagram and leave feeling amazing and positive. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, hit follow, subscribe, leave us a review and we'd really be intrigued to know what your spike is. So reach out to us at The Spike Pod across all social media channels. Bye.